The Rwando Podcast is an exploration of the unconscious and the game of life. Be sure to visit Rwando.com to get a preview chapter of my upcoming book, Infinite Play, and free access to my content library. Enjoy the show. I've been very disgusted with Facebook and these like oligopial uh, social media companies. And I've been, I've been basically avoiding uh, even, even the Masculine Underground group. And if you're watching this live, this is where you are. I've, I've been totally avoiding it. I've actually been getting a lot of messages, not a lot, but a, a handful of messages from people uh, pointing out that a lot of people have been, a handful of people have been spamming uh, my Masculine Underground group with their own self-promotion. I honestly haven't logged into Facebook more than once in the last week, so I, I, I almost don't care. I don't know. I guess it's just a mini rant. To the, perhaps this live feed cutting out is another sign that Facebook's not where I personally want to spend my attention. And as much as I appreciate everyone who does hop on these lives and, uh, and interacts with the live uh, recording of my podcasts, uh, I might be, I might be uh, retiring from Facebook. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this right now. But I'm actually curious for anyone listening, whether you're catching this live or you listen to the podcast or you're going to watch the replay somewhere else. Um, I'm curious to know if you could drop a comment or email me or message me uh, what your, if you are a listener of the show, what is, what is your use of social media like? Because I'm, I'm obviously on my podcast and I tell people in every episode to get off their screens and I listen to the audio version because why sit in front of a screen? Um, but I'm thinking about switching to some other kind of medium like Clubhouse, like this audio version and retiring from social media that's visual completely. But anyway, I don't know, it's a thought. I'm, I'm not going to jump to that, uh, but if you are listening to the show, I'm curious to know if that's something... I'm just curious to know what your usage of is it like. like if I get off Facebook, will that mean that you never hear from me again? I, I want to know. Same thing with YouTube. And uh, I said this before in the last, episode, last attempt at this episode. Um, I've moved into a new house. One of the reasons why I haven't been online in a long time or recorded an episode or put anything out in a while his love of my life has moved to Thailand. Uh, we moved into a fixer-upper together. I've been working nonstop on my new home. And so there's a little bit of echo in this room because I haven't put up the sound panels yet. And we probably will hear my rooster outside. Those are all the caveats. Um, and I'll probably have announcements at the end of the episode. So the ambition acceptance dilemma. Uh, this is something that I think a lot of people, anyone who's really goal-oriented or focused on creating a certain kind of life or into personal development or into self-mastery, probably comes across something like this, right? The go hard, the testosterone winner effect, dopamine-driven impulses, that's basically uh, you know, the David Goggins thing. If you take it to an extreme, set your goals, do the thing that will achieve those goals, go hard, go hard, go hard, conquer your inner bitch, all that stuff, right? If you're a guy who's into developing himself, you, you, I'm sure you have that impulse on some degree within yourself. But there's negative externalities to that, which we'll talk about, where you may have experienced. You could burn out. I mean, there are times to not go hard, uh, where it will cause problems. Anyway, the other side of things is the self-acceptance thing, which we see more often in, let's say, the more feminine sides of personal development. Um, you hear this in yoga classes all the time. You know, love where you're at. Breathe. You know, accept your, your situation. And, and there's also a time where that's useful, right? Like if you've gone a little too far in this dopamine uh, winner effect, uh, you know, if you've gone a little too far on that extreme, you may have burned out. A lot of people, I mean, this, is, this has been an experience of mine. Like when I first 
discovered goal setting as a as a concept when I was when I was 16. This, I was coming out of depression. Um, I had come across a bunch of typical self help books, and on a very basic level, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna relate a lot of this this topic to strength training principles because that was my first entry point into developing myself or changing, putting my intentions into reality and seeing my seeing something real change, my body change. I set some goals, set some fitness goals, followed a program. Uh, after two months, my biceps were bigger. I was getting compliments. I felt stronger. Amazing, right? Goal setting, goal setting. Set a goal, do the thing. Your life changes. Awesome. So that year, I set like five, fifty. I mean, literally, I think I had a composition notebook. I wrote down every single thing. This is before the law of attraction came out or like any of those types of books, but it's a similar idea of like, I'm going to, I'm going to treat the universe like a catalog. I'm going to write down every single thing to like my fitness goals, my sports goals. I wanted to be a musician at the same time. I wanted to get into a certain kind of college. I wanted to date these girls in my school. I just, I just wrote down everything, everything in detail. And then, and then because, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, into the spiritual stuff much at the time. Uh, I wrote down action steps, right? If I want to do this, I got to do this. If I want to win uh, city champs, I got to train this much. If I want to blah, 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 right? Uh, every single thing I had in action steps. I had this like a few pages of a composition notebook filled. And um, I've actually told this story before on the podcast, but essentially I burned out. Like I was so focused on my action steps and my goals and my basically my, my life schedule the first half of my senior year of high school is wake up at 5 a.m., go running for 45 minutes, uh, get to school. Uh, I mean, I would eat a dozen eggs. <laughs> I would get to school at 7 a.m. Uh, to work with um, kind of like this mentor, art teacher of mine, because I wanted to be an architect at the time. He was helping me with my portfolio. So before class started for like an hour and a half, I'd work on this. Uh, you know, I had class. I, I had even had my relationships and my social life down to goal action step, right? Like I wanted to date a certain girl. And in order to keep that relationship going, my action step was to talk to her for exactly 30 minutes at lunchtime and exactly 30 minutes at life. This is how, this is how, I mean, I was about to say a rude word. This is, this is how eggheaded I was. Let's leave it at that. Um, and I ended up burning out. I mean, I had other things. I would work out a certain amount. I would band practice. But basically, I started losing. In the beginning, it felt great. It felt amazing to get up at five and run. I felt super hard. I would say all these motivational things to myself, Muhammad Ali quotes. Um, but eventually, it stopped feeling fun. And I, you know, maybe after a month of that, I was still doing the same thing. As I decided that this was, these were the right action steps. But then I just wasn't feeling good. It wasn't feeling fun. It, on the physical level, I was certainly overtraining. I had no concept of what overtraining was. And um, everything was becoming uninteresting. I was becoming super apathetic. Uh, even speaking to my girlfriend, who I at the time, who I had a crush on uh, for like four years. And it was like a huge moral victory to date this particular chick. Um, even that had, I had lost... It, my whole life had become gray because I had burned myself out and I could no longer enjoy anything. And these action steps that I had determined as being the most important thing that I had to do to materialize the future that I wanted, they started not, uh, not yielding results anymore. Like I ended up losing, anyway, it doesn't matter. I, I ended up having a series of failures in sports and life. That girl dumped me. I got kicked off the wrestling team because of some stuff everything crashed and I felt terrible. And that kind of led me into 
again, the more feminine side of personal development. Eventually, I started going to yoga classes more where they would say what seemed like a solution to that my problem, my overly go hard problem, which was you got to love where you're at. Uh, or in the physical side of things, it's like you got to listen to your body sometimes, right? These are all things we've heard both, right? The problem is, you know, uh, how do you know which one to follow when, right? Like to always, if, if you always just listen to your body, right? It's going to be very hard to convince yourself to get out of bed before the sun's up. If you're always, like, because you're in that moment, your body wants to stay in bed, right? Uh, if you're always going hard, though, at some point you're going to miss a signal of like, oh, if you go hard today, you're actually going to injure yourself. So like, what is the thing, right? And I've talked about this in maybe more vague terms before of like, oh, there's nuances, right? Sometimes you got to listen to this and that, right? But this actually came, and I, I, that's been my stance for a long time. But recently I was speaking with a client of mine who essentially was going through this. He, he's a go hard kind of guy, a real man's man, but he's also really hard on himself. And every time he falls a little bit short of something, he would shame himself and berate himself and put himself into a pit. And of course that actually would, it wouldn't be effective in getting him to correct his behavior. That self-shaming would actually make his behavior worse because you have the self-loathing, you, you do more uh, pain body things, right? Um, whether it's with fitness or whatever. I, I won't say the example, but essentially there's a certain action he committed to and he was falling short of that action and the self-shaming was actually making him fall short a bit more, right? And I, because, you know, I, I've been speaking with him for a while, he knew I was going to say something like, well, you got to love yourself or you got to, you know, some, something to be kind to yourself. Um, and he was like, how could I love myself when I'm doing this despicable behavior? Uh, I use different words, but like, and, um, you know, I tried to explain to him there's nuances, um, this and that. Sometimes you got to listen sometimes and shame does shame is not productive. We know this, but then I thought about it afterwards and I'm like, the fact that there's a lot of nuances to this axiom means it's not a very effective axiom, even if it's true, right? Even if there's a time to go hard and a time to not go hard, if you have to go through all these nuances and if then statements of this is the time to go hard and this is the time to accept the situation. It's really not a good, uh, it's not a good axiom from which to live. Because as I speak about in the archetype class, when it comes down to critical moments, critical moments being high tension moments or emotional moments or moments where it's like a make or break or moments where you're fighting against old conditioning, we always end up falling on uh, who we are because it's hard to think in a, in a nuanced way in those moments of high tension which is why an effective axiom needs to be simple. So I was thinking about this. It was like, all right, to his point, this axiom is not very uh, useful because yeah, there, he shouldn't accept everything, right? Like if he goes completely against his own moral code, uh, he shouldn't just accept that and be like, oh yeah, just pat yourself on the back. You'll get him next time, slugger. Like that, that's actually not useful. And if you look at uh, the more feminine side of personal development, if you look at yoga, yoga worlds and stuff like that, spiritual traditions, and even if you, especially if you look at men in those traditions, I apologize for this, the construction outside. Next episode, I will have soundproof my office. But if you look at um, these more feminine uh, personal development spheres, specifically if you look at men who spend a lot of time in those spheres, a lot of time because they're holding on to this axiom of, oh, I'm just going to love myself, I'm not going to shame myself, I'm not going to push too hard, that's toxic. 
those guys end up living extremely mediocre lives because anytime there's tension, anytime there's something challenging, they end up not actually pushing through in moments that they should push through. Just thinking about this, right? It's like, there's got to be a more simple way to solve this uh, as far as decision making, right? Like, you know, some people live by what would Jesus do? And that's a very simple way of like, all right, what would Jesus do in this situation? It's like, what is the situation, right? Like, maybe not what would Joe Rogan do, but there's got to be something, there's got to be something more simple. And I was thinking about this and uh, it actually brought me back to strength training because if you caught my, uh, I think I spoke about this in the Warrior Archetype episode, which I think came out in November. Um, I was training for this big jiu-jitsu tournament in December. Uh, I ended up doing the tournament. It's actually the same day that uh, the love of my life came out of quarantine here in Thailand. So that kind of took uh, that kind of took all my attention. But I did do the tournament. I got a silver medal. It was very cool. But um, I had I had this minor injury in my back uh, the last few months, and it got particularly aggravated at the competition as you know it almost felt like a tear I don't know exactly so obviously after competition feeling this injury in my back uh, the love of my life is in town I decided to take some weeks off it was the it was the uh, smart thing to do listen to my body right took six weeks off this is what anyone would uh, recommend I do then I got back to the gym got back to jujitsu also got back to strength training and I felt this guilt because I had spent six weeks resting and recuperating, which may have been the right thing to do. So I went extra hard when I went back. And I, within a week, I ended up I, uh, pulling the same thing and I'm, I'm injured again. And I was upset at myself because I'm like, man, I've been working out for 17 years. It's been more than half my life. And I've gone through this exact cycle of go hard, get injured, recuperate, go hard to make up for that off time, get injured, recuperate, and I've gone through this cycle many times in the last 17 years, and it's like, man, I will not learn this lesson for some reason, like, what the hell, like, I will not learn this lesson, which made me think of my client again, because I'm doing the same exact thing that he's doing. I feel guilty, and I feel ashamed that I took so much time off, even even to recover, that I go extra hard, I, I put up, I mean, this time and every time, I, I like programming, I put up my schedule, my workout schedule, um, my jujitsu training schedule, and I'm always like, it should it be three times a week or four times a week? Now let's do four times a week, right? Like, I want to get a little more out of life, right? Um, but then that causes injury. So I went back to this idea of like, okay, I'm obviously doing something wrong here. Uh, I'm not learning the lesson because I keep putting my focus on the wrong thing, either on recovery or ambition. These, these opposing things keep swinging back and forth. I don't want to do this my whole life, right? Especially now in my 30s, the, the injury period is a little bit longer and the go hard period is a little bit shorter every time. And I'm just going, this is not the right, this is not the right life strategy for my, my strength training. Going back to my client, uh, his thing didn't really have to do with strength training, but same principle, right? Like there's some, there's gotta be some way to synthesize these two opposing forces of should I go hard? Should I David Goggins it up? Or should I, uh, should I love myself? So again, I was focusing on strength training because, uh, well, I like strength training, but also the body and these physical activities give us something concrete to work with, right? Like the reason why I fell in love with goal setting when I was 15 is that I set a goal to work on my body and I could, I could see how my body changed, right? That, that, that tangibility allows us to internalize certain principles, which is why I speak about, which is why I'm using this metaphor right now for strength training. So anyway, and I was thinking about, okay, what do I actually know about strength training 
that could be used as an axiom to not get injured but also get stronger. Because in other times in my life, I got injured actually back in July also. Um, I tried this new kind of like movement style thing, which was really fun and it was really good because it didn't tax my, my body, it didn't aggravate my injuries, but I also didn't get stronger. So like, how do I, how do I synthesize this? And I was thinking about this principle that they speak about in the kettlebell communities <clears throat> called grease the groove. I won't go into the, the physiology too deep, but essentially grease the groove is um, you don't train till failure. Instead of doing like what bodybuilders do, training for hypertrophy, where you're trying to like just inflate your muscle and like lift to the last rep, you maybe go 50% or 70%. So you leave uh, some energy in the tank. And then you also take a huge rest period in between your sets. So you might do like a hard set of kettlebell swings or snatches or deadlifts or whatever, or push-ups, burpees, it could be anything. You don't max out and you take a really long time to recover in between your sets. So instead of like a minute or 90 seconds, the way most people work out their muscles, maybe you take four minutes off and then you do your second set. And the reason why, one of the reasons why I do this is that um, aside from, well, one, it allows you to get a lot of volume in, um, a lot of volume of training where you don't burn yourself out, where every time you lift the weight again, you're basically fresh. So you feel good. It feels exciting. But also on that, a component of strength training is not just your muscles, it's also your nervous system. How much force you could um, put out in a given moment not only has to do with uh, the strength of your muscles, but how much your motor neurons can recruit muscle fibers, right? Like someone who, whose nervous system isn't trained well, they might have huge muscles, but their motor neurons aren't, aren't primed to, act, uh, to recruit all of them when they do a certain movement, like a punch or a lift or something. So they actually aren't as strong. And one rule of thumb test with this is grip strength, right? Um, if you, excuse the rooster, if you've worked out, if you stimulated your nervous system to the perfect amount, like right in the perfect sweet spot, right after your workout, your grip strength should feel stronger. It's not because your muscles in your forearm have magically become stronger. It's because you've stimulated your nervous system in such a way that your, your, your grip, for instance, is able to recruit more uh, muscle fibers. Your motor neurons can recruit more muscle fibers. So even though you just worked out and obviously your muscles have not uh, gotten stronger, that happens usually when you sleep, uh, you actually, your grip is actually stronger because you've uh, stimulated your nervous system. On the, on the flip side, if you do a hard workout, if you do any kind of workout, and right after that and throughout the day, your grip feels weaker, like you feel like you can't shake a hand as well, or you just can't hold on to things as well, that's actually a sign of overtraining, where you've over overtaxed your nervous system. So completely independent of your, um, of your muscle strength, your, your motor neurons are not recruiting muscles, right? Anyway, if you're not into physiology or strength training, maybe that's kind of boring, but I like this as a metaphor because uh, your ability to do life, your ability to accomplish your goals, to go hard on creative tasks or anything, business tasks, anything, is not just a component of how much you're, you're physically capable of doing. It's a lot about your, your nervous system in a sense. And we can use this analogy to be like, yeah, your feeling, your, your energy levels. <clears throat> and, but the thing is with grip strength, and still sticking with the strength training piece for, for the purpose of metaphor, um, the thing with grip strength is this kind of like rule of thumb, the rooster's literally right outside of my window. Uh, the thing with grip strength is that you only can tell after your workout, right? Like if, if I do a workout and my grip strength feels really strong compared to that morning, 
I know that I'm in the sweet spot. I don't want to go too much further than that. If I've already taxed my nervous system and my grip strength is gone, then I'm like, well, shit, I've already overtrained today. I can't go back and un-overtraining, right? That's already happened. So there's got to be a lead metric, right? That's a lag metric you can see, you can assess on the back end. But what can I do beforehand to make sure I don't overtrain myself or I can find that sweet spot where I'm stimulating myself perfectly? And that made me think of um, something Faraz Sahabi, who is a jiu-jitsu coach. He's a George St. Pierre's coach, if you like MMA. Um, he trains in Montreal and tries to gym. And he said this when he was on Joe Rogan, that training should give you energy, right? And he was talking about the same principles of kind of like Reese the Groove, kind of like what Pavel Sautsulin speaks about with kettlebells. Don't push yourself to the max. That's fine for bodybuilding, but for functional strength training, you want to stop in that sweet spot again where you feel enthusiastic, where you feel like you're excited to train again. That was, I think those were his words. Like you should stop, you should put it in a level of effort with your training that you're excited to train the next day because then you can get in more volume. But I was thinking about this also, like if you, if you stop in that sweet spot, you're always eager to work out again, right? If you push yourself to the max and tax yourself out to burnout, it's kind of hard to motivate yourself to go to work out again because it simply isn't fun. So that made me think, if I wanted a, a, a very specific axiom to live by with strength training, something, something that gives me more energy, something that makes, that makes me eager to continue working out or work out again the next day, that's kind, of, that's kind of like the what would Jesus do statement, right? Like, how can I optimize for something that gives me more aliveness? That's the word I settled on, right? Like, I want to do something that makes me feel more alive and more enthusiastic to do that thing the next time I do it. So with strength training, it's simple. You stop at that sweet spot where your grip strength is at its peak and you're not quite in that point of burnout where tomorrow I won't be excited to move my body or whenever your next workout day is. Bringing this into life now, how can you optimize for aliveness? How can you set up your life so that you're always eager to do it again, or you have more energy, have more enthusiasm for life. Because if you look at my first story about my first, my very first burnout with going too hard with my goals, I missed that signal, right? There was maybe a four to six week period where waking up at five and running for 45 minutes every day, it felt really good. I felt so, I felt like, a, I felt like an animal, right? I felt like such a savage, being the only person I knew, the only 17 year old I knew, running for 45 minutes before the sun came up. But after six weeks, it no longer felt that way, but I still pushed myself. You can, you can look at um, any creative process, you can look at your work, you can look at, you can look at relationships, right? Like, my, my love is here, you know, we moved into a new house, and every morning there's this kind of thing where like I could stay in bed and cuddle or I could get up and do my work. And both of them have really good, uh, really good, um, good, really good reasons behind it, right? Like there are, there are days when I stay in bed and I cuddle with her and I'm like, these are like the most beautiful memories, you know, like thinking of stuff Zan Perion says, like life is all about creating great memories. That's kind of his axiom for life. And like, how could I want to skip out on these beautiful mornings where we get to stay in bed and make love or cuddle and say sweet things or whatever, right? I don't want to miss out on that in my life. But also, if I do that every morning, I'm not going to accomplish much, right? My mornings are my creative time. But if I focus on this axiom of how can I optimize for aliveness, there are days where it's very clear that the most life-giving activity is to stay in bed for another half an hour or whatever, maybe an hour on weekends. Uh, 
there are days where the most life-giving activity is to get out, get out of bed right when the rooster calls, right? Like, I just, and you feel it, right? Like, this is, this is the thing where you don't need to have some crazy intuitive ability to know, like, everyone, if you have, if you have emotions, you can feel these things in yourself. Like, you're, you're, maybe you're cuddling in bed with your girl and your mind is like, shit, I really need to get out of bed right now. And you know that in that moment. Like, if you're honest with yourself, you will know that. Uh, same thing with the other thing, like, you know, sometimes like you can feel it in your body, like I could get up and get on the computer right now, but man, some part of me, it just feels right, right? And, and the, the challenge, I guess there is a bit of a nuance here of like recognizing when you are, when, you're, when your inner bitch is using comfort or using uh, that as a justification to avoid tension, or if it's a moment where you really need to... Um, really need to rest because those are important too. Like if I think, if I look back at my, my athletic career, it's kind of simple. If I, if I look back, it's kind of obvious, I should say, when I should have, when I, when I should have chilled out. Even recently, right? Like coming back to jujitsu two weeks ago, I should have just went easy the first week. It seems so obvious, but I was optimizing for my goals. If like I want a black belt by the time I'm 40 something, right? I was like, oh, if I want, if I'm optimizing just for that goal, then obviously I have to train four times and train hard this week, right? But if I'm optimizing for aliveness, if I'm optimizing to feel more energy, if I'm optimizing to feel more enthusiasm for every moment of my life, well, it's kind of obvious that I should not have trained that hard because I remember the moment in my training that actually was, uh, it was about two weeks ago. I remember the day that I re-aggravated my back. Some part of me was not excited to spar that day. Some days I'm so excited. I'm like so amped up and I want to spar with everybody and I just want to, I'm just like in combat mode. I just want to fight. But that day, it was very clear. Like I just didn't, for some reason, it just wasn't interesting. It wasn't fun. To, to do it, but I pushed myself because I had told myself that I need to train X amount to accomplish my goal. But if I optimize for aliveness, it becomes very simple, right? And this, the reason why I was excited to share about this and why I'm recording this episode, even though my, my office isn't set up yet and whatever, sorry about the noise if you're, you know, if it's, I don't know if it's bothering um, or if you're using Audible, it's like this, in the last two weeks that I've been living this way, Everything has been a lot simpler and like in those moments, I'll, I'll use an example from uh, the, what I'm working on right now. I'm working on this uh, long form uh, history show on the history of masculinity. If you're in the Masculine Underground group, you may have seen me mention it. It's a very big project and then for most of it, I've been super enthusiastic about it and I'm usually real. I'm learning so much. Like I, I friggin love military history. I'm going very deep on it. It's very exciting. But there are, there have been days where, I mean, especially I've been working on this since December, there have been days where for whatever reason, I just wasn't feeling it. And on those days, if I pushed myself to write, the writing sucked. And the day after that, I was less enthusiastic. Whereas those clearly, those moments, like, I mean, you can, you can replace the word uh, aliveness with enthusiasm, right? What will increase your enthusiasm? Because a lot of guys reach out to me speaking about apathy, right? It's kind of this thing that plagues a lot of people, but I think men especially, men especially now, are prone to apathy. Apathy being a kind of a, a defense mechanism for any kind of negative feeling, whether it's fear of rejection or anxiety or anything, right? Apathy kind of becomes this, this fog that comes over you that makes your life a little more gray, that mutes the colors, that makes music sound less good, makes 
uh, beauty less beautiful, makes fun less fun. If you optimize for the opposite, if you specifically focus on how do I make the colors brighter? How do I make the next thing I would do more interesting, more, more life-giving, more alive? Then if you, if, you, if you actually are taking the step that makes things more alive, then obviously you will rest when you need to rest. And obviously you will go hard when you need to go hard. And I would even say uh, everything will just become more productive across the board because you are more eager to engage with that part of your life. So, oh, anyway, actually the, the final pieces I, I meant to say. So these other, like when I spoke about my conversation with my client at the top of this episode, you know, I was, I was still peeking about him with uh, the, the nuances of when to go hard and when to, to accept your situation, right? And, um, and, and, and one of the things that I always go back to and one of the justifications that I bring or I speak about a lot of why shame is never, self-shaming is never useful, right? Uh, you're never going to produce more or be more creative when you're shaming yourself. And I spoke about this extensively in the Dark Masculine episode, but essentially, you know, that's, that's, that's it, right? Shame is just not productive. You're not, you're not doing anything useful by shaming yourself. But this optimism, optimizing for aliveness uh, sheds some light on why this is, because if you just look at, forget about all, like, thinking about all these specific nuances of shame, this and this and that, Shame decreases your aliveness, right? If you think of like, if that's, if that's all you care about, if that's all you optimize for, then shame, the reason why shame is no good is that when you're shaming yourself, you are less eager to engage with life. That's it, right? When you shame yourself, you're less enthusiastic. When you shame yourself, you, uh, you just don't, you're not as engaged with stuff because you've been berating yourself. And the same thing with uh, why is coddling yourself bad? You know, we can, we can go through this whole uh, explanation of coddling, participation trophies, it gives you bad rewards, it mixes up your reward circuits. You know, forget about all that. It's complicated, right? It might be all true, but if you want to simplify everything, the reason why coddling yourself is bad or not useful or something you shouldn't do is because it decreases your aliveness, right? If, especially for a guy, if you know there's a challenge that you should go out and conquer and, you, and you're capable of conquering it and you're telling yourself, oh, I'm just going to be kind to myself and stay in and do yoga, your, your, your inner self, your inner knowing is going to feel less alive because you know that you avoided something that was good for you. You know that you avoided tension that would force you to grow. And that's why those things are bad, right? You can, you can go down the list of every, every uh, justification for either going hard or going soft. And if you just optimize for aliveness, it becomes very clear of what you should do in what situation. And I, I just will say it's been, I mean, I was excited to share about this because these last two weeks, I, I felt so good, right? And, and I know maybe two weeks is not long enough to definitively say, oh, this is a thing that works. But I think conceptually, it, it makes me excited. It has me interested in life. Um, these last two weeks, um, I really did this initially for my body, right? Because I, I was like, man, I'm in my 30s now. I got to find a way. I got to find a way to structure my strength training so that I don't get injured every 18 months. This is ridiculous. Actually, it's been like every more like every 6 months the last couple of years. And I, I know if I optimize for aliveness, that kind of determines how many sets and reps I do that day. That kind of determines what exercises I do because if I think if I I've actually thrown away my programming schedule. I I've, I've been very used to following programs, right? Like when I first started working out, I did the typical bodybuilder thing of like, you know, chest day, uh, back day, whatever. 
Uh, more recently, I've gotten into more functional strength training and kettlebells and gymnastics. And like, I have a gymnastics program and a kettlebell program and all of those things, especially mixing them together have led to injury. Now, on my workout days, if I, if I am going to work out because my body is eager to work out, I look at my equipment, I have my gymnastics stuff, I have my kettlebells, and I'm like, what would be the most fun exercise to do? And actually, if you're curious on the strength training side, what I've, what I've been purely doing other than jujitsu these last two weeks has been, I've been picking one exercise, whatever exercise seems like the most fun exercise that day, it could be pull-ups, it could be dips, it could be kettlebell swings, it could be clean-in presses, Turkish get-ups, just, I just pick something that seems interesting, it's like, oh, I haven't done that in a while. Uh, I pick a weight that seems interesting, right? I have a really heavy kettlebell, I have a medium one, I have a light one, I'm like, oh, a medium feels like it'd be the most fun today. It feels like it would be, it would have me be the most eager to, to go back to this weight. And then throughout the day, from when I wake up till when I go to bed, whenever it feels fun, whenever I feel it would give me life to do another uh, set, I do another set. And it so far has been about 10 sets a day. The other day, I think yesterday, I did about 100 dips broken up over the day. Uh, the day before, I did like 120 pull-ups or something spread out, like, you know, taking between 10 and, and an hour of rest in between sets. Um, uh, and it's been great and my body has been feeling amazing. I've been feeling super strong and I have a lot of energy and I've not been injured, but I've also been enthusiastic to move my body every time. And I was thinking about this, like some people who, you know, I've been fortunate maybe to have had uh, positive experiences with strength training young enough that my first imprints related to exercise are for the most part uh, interesting or the most part fun. Like I was lucky that the first time I lifted weights, it was with a good friend of mine and his dad showed us ways like a program that would make weightlifting fun. And I've never had resistance to weightlifting. I've never been like, oh, I don't want to go to the gym. I, I mean, this is not something I could take credit for. I was lucky, right? Uh, I have my own shit with other things, right? Uh, perhaps with creative resistance, I've been bogged down by that. Other people do have issues with exercise, right? Maybe they got really negative imprinting uh, when they were young because of a shitty gym class. So like already before they've even consciously started, anything to do with exercise has already m given them a feeling of not funness, of, of reduced enthusiasm. They already feel kind of apathetic towards exercise. So even if they set their new year's resolution uh, to work out X number of times a week, by February they've stopped because that apathy layer is too high. With anyone, I would say break everything down into how to make it the most fun again. And actually, I will say on these two weeks, I've been some of the most productive. I mean, I know everyone says that, right? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to catch myself. Uh, sidebar, with the whole thing with my, my uh, Facebook group and like there's all these like really young life coaches like posting their self-improvement stuff. It seems like they're all – I kind of want to write – I might even do an episode on this like – my uh, my open letter to 20-something life coaches. Not that I'm against that. I was once a 20-something life coach, but there's kind of like this cookie-cutter-ness that I'm seeing a lot uh, in like in like the generation younger than me doing what I do. Like, like everyone's kind of doing the same thing. And maybe I was like that 10 years ago. I, I don't actually know. Uh, what did I bring this up? Uh, I forgot. That's the problem with tangents sometimes. Um, Anyway, oh, actually, yeah. So, like, there's this cookie cutter thing where, like, everyone, it's kind of like what you hear about in academia about how professors 
have to keep publishing to keep their careers. So they'll publish stuff that's not necessarily legit or not that profound or not that useful, or they'll try to remix something that's not actually new. So I want to catch myself here by saying, oh, I found this amazing solution, optimized for aliveness and everything is amazing. Look at my life after two weeks, it's been amazing. But I do want to share this. I'm trying to share this as, as, as genuinely as possible because it gives me life to help other people or share things that I've realized, which is uh, over these last two weeks, my energy levels have been super high. Um, my libido has been up. My exercise has been great, as I mentioned, but also my creative work, which is the, another area where I go through the cycle sometimes of going hard than burning out. I've been in such a sweet spot with my creative work because yes, in, in regards to overcoming resistance, there definitely are times where you need to get into the groove, you need to grease that groove of writing at the same time two hours a day or whatever, whatever that habit is. But there are also times where pushing, just pushing for the sake of pushing is not actually good for your creative juices. And again, it can be this, this tricky thing where if, you, if you're a new writer, a new creative person who's overcome with a lot of resistance and you, you hold on to this one line of someone says like, oh, sometimes you have to let your creative juices rest. Sometimes you, have to, sometimes you have to let the steak rest for the juices to settle, right? You can take that line and be like, oh, this guy on the internet said, if, I, if I'm not feeling writing, I gotta, I gotta rest for a while. And that's actually not good. That could be used as a justification for mediocrity. But all I'll say is optimizing for liveness has had me in this sweet spot where I have all these projects, right? I'm, I'm building this house. I, I'm working on this history podcast. I haven't actually created, actually, I will say this. I haven't made content in a long time. I haven't done an episode here in months because I had this justification of I'm working on this history show. I gotta do this first. And you know, it hasn't, whatever, I'm, whether I should or shouldn't, but just optimizing for aliveness has made me so excited that I have like this whole list of new episodes that are gonna come out soon. I would think because I found that sweet spot of like, forget about my schedule, forget about like how many hours I feel like I need to write per day. I'm gonna do what makes me feel the most alive. And almost always that's productive, right? Because you know, vegging out on the couch every day does not make anyone feel more alive, right? Forget about comfort, doesn't make you feel more alive. Forget about your goal sheet, doesn't make you feel more alive. Anyways, uh, last announcements. I don't know what I'm gonna do with my Facebook group. I'm gonna figure out something. Um, actually, I'm curious if you listen to this, uh, this is a new app called Clubhouse. I'm actually not on it yet, um, but it's an audio-based social media channel. And, um, it sounds really interesting. I have to buy an iPhone to get on it. And I'm kind of curious to anyone who listens to this, anyone who follows me, would it would being on that app be interesting to you? Because I might switch off of all of my other social media channels to be on that app. I'm seeing, I'm, this is, I'm thinking out loud here. If you're a listener, Charlotte, I'd love to just hear what your, uh, what your situation is um, because I want to I wanna continue to connect with you. Other announcements, the History Podcast is coming out probably next quarter. Um, I've been going so deep on military history, man, and I'm so excited. Like this, this show, it started out like it was just going to be like a quick five-episode series, like kind of shooting from the hip, speaking about different elements of masculinity through history, of like where honor comes from and uh, where violence comes from and why males are competitive and, and then just going through kind of superficial, kind of, I mean, surface level, right? I was just going to kind of shoot through and do 20-minute episodes. This episode on military history, an uh, episode on warfare, because right, you can't talk about uh, the history of masculinity without talking about history of 
of violence. It's been so fucking fascinating, man. It's given me so much aliveness. It's given me so much energy that I went so deep on it. And now it's like I'm making a whole series just on that topic because I think there's so many lessons. Like I, this is what I'll, if you don't, yeah. Anyway, more, a bit more of a rant, like with the personal development industry, with this I thing of like so many people trying to add more like how to's and like every self, if you go to the self help section, every title of the book tells the entire, entire book because that's what sells these days. Like, and, and with masculinity, I've been wanting to find like the core of it, right? I'm so sick of seeing the question in these men's forums of, oh, what does masculinity mean to you? Like, how do you define masculinity? It's like, man, this stuff doesn't need definition, right? It's been existing for thousands of generations. We don't need to define it. We need to just discover what it is. And you don't discover what it is by like pondering about like postmodernist, blah, blah, blah. Like you look at history. So I've been very excited about that. So that, that should be coming out next quarter. But if you want to be notified about it, make sure on my email list, it'll be available for free to, for a limited time. Uh, so I will notify you if you want to learn about the history of masculinity. This first season will be on the history of warfare, going from the Stone Age all the way up to nuclear arms and the modern day and how that shaped masculinity and honor. Because uh, the the... The epitome of what makes a good man in a given society, which obviously changes through culture. If you caught the um, breaking social constructions of reality, we talked about the social constructions of reality and how um, these things can change. They're, they're kind of arbitrary. Not to just say they're arbitrary, they're mutable, they're changeable. And what constitutes a good man in a given culture almost always relates to what makes a good warrior. So just a little snippet. I talked about this with um, James Callipson. Uh, on his podcast, which I think is coming out in a couple weeks too, uh, my episode on his podcast, where uh, the the change of weapons, let's say one example that I think is really interesting is a change of weapons from uh, the Greek phalanxes, you know, like the Greeks, if you saw 300, they had the big shields and the long spears, and actually the Macedonians had smaller shields, but even bigger sticks, they had huge, like 18 foot uh, spears, and that's what was the dominant way of fighting for like many hundreds of years through Alexander the Great uh, and before that all the way up to the, the Persian Wars, um, the Greco-Persian Wars that is. But then there was a shift uh, where the Roman legions who used these short swords defeated that. And I go, through, I go through the details of how that happened in the podcast. But what was interesting is that that shifted the cultural definition of what made a good man because in the Greek phalanx what made a good man was a guy who you know, if, if, you heard, if you saw 300, come back with your shield around it. What made a good man in that, that era was having your shield because your shield defended your, your friends, right? Your shield wasn't about you so much. It was about being a part of the tribe. And like that's what exemplified a good man in Greek culture. The Roman legions had really spread out formations, right? So like the Roman legionary didn't have his buddies next to him. So he was kind of on his own. Like they had these very spread out formations so they could move around and like maneuver through enemy lines and stuff. So a Roman soldier was all on his own, and the most important thing to a Roman soldier was his sword, not his shield, because his sword is what determined what he did. It's like offense became more important than defense. You can see the shift from Greek culture to Roman culture that um, individualism became more important in Roman culture, I, and I would equate that to the rise of the sword over the shield. Anyway, that's just a little teaser of uh, the History of Masculinity podcast. Make sure you're on my email list at rwando.com. Thanks for listening. Make sure you're subscribed. And if you're watching this as a replay, I highly recommend you listen to the audio form, which is on the Rwanda podcast, everywhere podcasts are found. Go for a walk, touch your toes, go stretch, you do some pull-ups, do some yard work, do anything 
other than to have your eyeballs on the screen because that is certainly zapping your aliveness. All right, goodbye. Trump.